What is going on, all you Almost Canon listeners? It's me, Nicholas Willard, host of this wonderful podcast, Almost Canon. Now, if you'd like to get a hold of me, maybe you want to tell your story about a demon you raised while, I don't know, exploring the abandoned halls of some asylum or some sort of ancient creature you found at the bottom of an abandoned mine or maybe or maybe you were you know doing a little summer fishing and you hooked some sort of lake monster i don't know doesn't really matter i want to hear them all uh so if you want to share your story with me you can get a hold of me at almost cannon pod at gmail.com. There is an Almost Canon Facebook page that I was originally using. Um, I can't figure out how to delete it. So that one's there. It's not in use. You go to that one. It'll direct you to the Almost Canon podcast Facebook page. Uh, we have an Instagram at Almost Canon pod. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's that's really it. We have a website. It's not necessarily really active. Nobody's, I don't think it was something bank was monitoring and I don't, I don't think he's doing that anymore. Um, but yeah, if you want to get a hold of me and share your story, you can contact me at almostcanonpod at gmail.com. Boom. All right. All right, everyone. All right. All right. All right. Um, what do we got for news this week? I don't, I don't, I don't have much news. I don't have any news actually. Except, there's one thing I wanted to talk about. So, if you're a listener from the beginning, you might recall me and Bank talking about a audio drama uh, that we were going to produce. We're not doing that anymore. However, I put a lot of thought into this, and I have been... Um, I've been I've been writing um a novel a book for a while now, you know, you know, I'm other than the podcast stuff, uh I'm a wannabe writer. <laughs> you know, I write all these stuff, nothing I haven't published anything, nothing's ever nothing's ever finished. However, I did finish one. I finished a manuscript um of an adventure story of a series that I was, you know, I got all these plans for and all that. Um, and I was just going over the manuscript, you know, rewriting, you know, chapter by chapter. And I decided that what, you know, what am I doing? I have a podcast. I love audio dramas. I listen to them all the time. I mean, how would I turn this into an audio drama? And so when I'm not, researching for the podcast or editing a podcast episode uh or spending time with my family i have been transferring my novel into script form um to create an audio drama now this is a project 
you know, I am working on in my very, 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 very spare time. So don't expect it to be done very fast. I mean, and this this is me being optimistic. I'm thinking a year. Like, give me a year and it might be done. So that's being uh very optimistic. Um you know, I got a full-time job. I got to make a living. My wife watches the kids. I work. Um, I do the podcast. So, you know, what spare time I do have, I will work on this this audio drama script. Um, and what I wanted to do was for the Almost Canon Plus listeners, all you Almost Canonites and Almost Canoners out there, I wanted to share chapter by chapter my script. For those out there who might want to read it or maybe even the book itself, you know, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know how I feel on that. Uh, but yes, with the audio drama, I was thinking that I could share, you know, chapter by chapter as I'm going. And then hopefully when I'm done, you know, it'd be nice to produce it myself, but I don't know the first thing about producing an audio drama. Obviously, I can barely produce a podcast, so I'll probably have to, you know, pawn that off on someone else. I, when when we were going to do this at first, we had all this, you know, bank and all this recording equipment. We had access to these this this drama club at at a school and, and all this good stuff. You know, it was going to be like easy, easy peasy. Well, that's not the case anymore. However, I am interested in finishing this audio drama. I love audio dramas, like I just said. Um, they're they're pretty much my favorite type of podcast. Uh, it's it's kind of like a movie for your ears. Like, what is better than that? You know, I'm thinking of like like Baraska, which is probably my all time favorite audio drama. But there's other ones out there. There's you know Baraska season one and two through Q Code. We have um, let's see here. There's one that came out a couple of years ago called Dark Woods with the, you know, it's something to do with California, you know, fishing game. And I'm pretty sure that's a, a, uh, Dick Wolf production. Don't quote me on that. I'm not sure, but dude, he's the guy, he's the guy who he's the law and order dude. I'm pretty sure. Uh, and there was another one called Wanted that they came out with, with years ago that was also really good. Uh, there's another one that I that I remember I've listened to several times called The Reckoning, where it's like some police detective go has to go to like the Orkney Islands or something, and the devil's raised and blah, you know, blah blah blah. But but they're exciting and they're fun to listen to. Like I said, it's a movie for your ears. What's better than an audio drama? Uh, there's not much other than almost canon. And uh, I guess I can think of a couple of other things, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, what's better than audio drama? So I'm going to make my own. Stay tuned. It'll probably be a year or two or three. The way I'm, the way I'm going, it'll probably be five. But, uh, but yeah, you know, that, that was pretty much the only news I had. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have time to uh to really look through the news and see see what was going on in the world um 
So yeah, that that's that's the news. That's what I got for news. I also wanted to to thank um Adventure, Explore, Discover for coming on the show last week real quick. Um it, it wasn't really a plan it was it was it was somewhat planned, but it you know it wasn't it was kind of a a, a spur of the moment type thing. So I was able to fit him in the the show, I think, at a good point. You know, it, it doesn't flow as smoothly as I wanted it to, but I, I think it was good. And and he's, you know, I'm definitely going to have him on again. He he definitely knows his folklore and his lost treasures. Um, So we'll see what else we can get out of him. So thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. I got a, a message on Instagram from a lady who said she was listening to the the a haunting in the Bennington Triangle episode and she felt something tap her on the shoulder and she thought it was her cat so she didn't think much about it at the time and then she gets up and goes in her house and her cat is like sleeping on the chair uh so she said it was the ghost she thinks that the podcast woke up the ghost that haunts her house you know she says she's got a a spirit of the old homeowner that lives in the house named Helen so, I'm sorry. I hope we didn't sound uh, uh, that obnoxious that it had to uh, wake the dead. But, but that was cool. You know, I like getting messages from you guys. Keep it up. Every now and then I'll get a story or like a small story. Uh, or someone will hit me up saying something or, you know, whatever, you know. And I like that. It's nice. It's It's nice. And I guess that brings me to my next point. Ratings and reviews. Keep them up. Remember, you rate the show, you get a free sticker. You just rate the show, leave a review, get a hold of me, prove that you rated the show somehow. I don't know how it, it's worked so far. So, And I'll send you a free sticker, free of charge, while supplies last. So don't forget that. And I say it every week. It's important. It helps people find the show as of now. It's pretty much me putting the show out there and you guys sharing with your family and friends. You know, that's really the only way that anyone can find the show right now. But if we get the ratings up, we get good reviews. Um, that, you know, the algorithm within uh, Spotify or uh, Apple Podcasts, you know, they... They they move the show up and up and up and up and up the more ratings and reviews we get. So keep it up. It's always good. Ratings are, are the best way to, to help the show out. You know, if you don't want to become an Almost Canon Plus member, just leave a rating and know that you've done good work. You can you can sleep easy knowing you've helped someone in need. So let's get into tonight's topic. And that is the pirate utopia of Libertalia. Now, most people who have heard of Libertalia probably heard of it from uh, the hit PlayStation 4 game, Uncharted 4. Uh, This is actually where I heard of Libertalia from. I had never heard of this place, you know, and I like to think that I, 
you know, lost cities interest me. And I like to think that I have heard of all the lost cities. Uh, and a lost pirate city that I haven't heard of. I was shocked. I was shocked when I, when I played the game, it was, it was awesome. It was great. I love it. Uncharted. It's my all time, you know, favorite game series. I have played. Oh my God. I have played uncharted one through four. I, I don't even know. So many times I have played uncharted four, uh, Back to back to back to back to back more times than I have played The Last of Us. Naughty Dog, they can sure put out a damn good game. Uh, they know how to do it. You know, I'm kind of bummed that there's they're they're not producing an Uncharted Five. However, if you are an Uncharted fan and you are a PlayStation fan, you will know that in the PlayStation Five commercial that came out several months ago. There was one scene of a woman exploring some sort of lost tomb, finding some sort of golden idol. What was that? Was that Uncharted 5? I don't know. I Everything inside of me wants to scream that it was. I am so hopeful that Uncharted 5 is coming out. I have not gotten a PS5 yet. Uh, and actually, since Bank has left the show, since I have started editing... Uh, the podcast. I haven't even picked up my PlayStation 4 controller. <laughs> Sometimes I want to push the MacBook away, lean back, grab the controller, and rock out some Red Dead Redemption 2. But I haven't, you know, I don't want to let you guys down. The show, you know what they say, the show must go on. And the only way to do that is for me to do my job, and that is to edit these shows research these topics bring them to you so you can have sweet sweet ear candy uh for your ear holes um so yeah libertalia playstation 4 uncharted 4 what what this is gonna be an episode what is not to like about this episode it's got all the the things that matter pirates playstation 4 Action, adventure, treasure. What 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 more do you want? All right. So I figured we would start our discussion on Libertalia uh by going over a brief history of piracy. Now this is a brief history of piracy. This is in no way a complete history of piracy. And now my cat is here. He wants to talk about pirates. Um, just shh, be quiet. Uh, yeah, so what's better than than talking about pirates? Um, oh, what was I saying? I was saying something about a brief history of piracy. This is a brief history of piracy. It's not a complete history of piracy. If you want a complete history of piracy... Um, you should definitely check out uh, a pirate history podcast. That is one that I've listened to that podcast for since, I don't even know for years now. That is a great podcast. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, but I'm not doing a complete history of pirate piracy. This is just a brief history of piracy, and that's all it is. So, where are we going to start? Well, we're going to start this talk on piracy. Uh, 
with the golden age of piracy. This is the, you know, piracy has been going on ever since people sailed the ocean. And even before that, um, you know, there's been Greek pirates and Phoenician pirates and Roman pirates. And, you know, there's even today there's piracy. You know, we don't think about it as, you know, when we talk about pirates, we think Blackbeard or Captain Kidd and buried treasure and swords and blunder buses and, and uh, you know, flaming beards. We don't think of real world piracy with with armed, you know, rebels in some cases and radicals in Africa loading onto little inflatable boats, you know, and zipping out towards a cargo ship, you know, taking the cargo ship hostage and everyone aboard hostage and then ransoming them off, stealing their goods and stuff like that. That's modern day piracy. We don't think about that when we think of piracy, really. Um, and we don't think of, of really anything pre 1600s either necessarily i mean there like i said there's been piracy going on for i don't even know thousands and thousands of years when we think of piracy we think of the golden age of piracy and that is a period roughly between 1650 uh and the 1730s you know some people bring that up to like the 1750s um but uh but that's really like a good a good um I don't know, a good point. 1650 to 1730. So generally, there are three chapters that make up the golden age of piracy. And those are um, the buccaneering period, a period that is known as the pirate round, quote unquote, uh, and the post-Spanish succession period. And this is not... uh, like the TV show. Um, all right. The buccaneering period. The buccaneers, you know. So what is a buccaneer? Other than a football team that was complete trash. You know, I, I always liked the buccaneers. Ever since I was a kid, my uncle liked them. I liked the, the pirate flag logo. <laughs> That's pretty much the only reason why I like the buccaneers. But I've liked them for so long. And then uh, Tom Brady joins them in, in half the... I was going to say half the world, but I guess I'll say all of New England all of a sudden likes the Buccaneers. Well, those aren't the Buccaneers we're talking about. Uh, We're talking about a group of uh, mostly French sailors who were driven away from Hispaniola, you know, which which was an island by the, the Spanish around the 1630s and resettled on another island within the Caribbean uh, called Tortuga. And so these buccaneers, they received their name from the huts used to cook and smoke the wild boar and cattle that they hunted, uh, which were called boucans. So these these huts, these smoking huts, they were called boucans. So that's where you get the, the name buccaneers, buccaneers. Um, so, yeah, they were driven out of Hispaniola by by. And they were mostly French. In the beginning, they were mostly French. They were driven out of Hispaniola. They resettled in Tortuga. 
uh, and they would remain hunters for a time. Um, but as attacks by the Spanish and dwindling resources became too much for these these poor French hunters, uh, these poor French smokers, they um, they would turn to piracy against the Spanish. Uh, they would eventually be joined by by other sailors, you know, uh, Dutch and, and English adventurers. And they would become strong enough eventually to set out for the Spanish main. And so the Spanish main is another word, you know, this is what this is what the, the Spanish main is what they would call, uh, you know, mainland Central America, as well as like, you know, Florida and some pieces of upper South America. This was called the Spanish main, you know, the mainland. There were there were the Caribbean islands. And then there was the mainland. So it, this this wasn't Spain, you know. That's all the way across the Atlantic Ocean. We're not talking about Spain. The Spanish Main is is mainland, uh, North, Central, and South America. Uh, but only only the parts that the Spanish were in. You know, I'm not. We're not talking the whole thing. You know, just just to make it clear, if you if if you know if you need help understanding this. So yeah, these these poor French sailors, they would be joined by other adventurers who were being, you know, pursued and persecuted by the Spanish, and they would become strong enough to to, you know, start raiding the Spanish main. And they would, you know, join together in a loose syndicate called the Brethren of the Coast, which was governed by a code of conduct. So they they had a code of conduct. And how they were going to conduct themselves and work together, how they would would split up their you know their riches or their loot, um, their booty. You know, as time went on, the buccaneers they'd be used as as like almost like a private army for for these these different islands. So, so like in the case of Port Royal, Jamaica, and so Port Royal is like um. It was a major port in Jamaica at the, at the time. It was it was governed by the English, but it was protected by these these buccaneers. So so they didn't have, you know, a navy necessarily that they could use to defend the island from invading French or or Spanish um ships. So they would hire, you know, hire these buccaneers to to kind of patrol around the the island's coast, you know, protecting them from from like I said French and Spanish attacks. And because of their, you know, being used as this private army type of deal, they would often be handed letters of mark by the governors of these these islands um, or these ports. You know, wherever there was someone who needed defending, the governor of that area would pretty much supply these buccaneers with the letter of mark. And it's called the letter of mark. Um and it, it was kind of like legal papers to become a legal pirate. And if you can remember back to the Captain Kid episode, I forget the name of the island Kid helped defend, but he and and so this this would have been during the Buccaneer period. He helped defend an island against the French, I believe. Uh, it was a it was a British run island and he, you know, in his early years, he helped defend that island. And that, that's kind of where him and that Robert Cullingford um, kind of broke apart after that. 
it's where Robert like stole his ship and all that good stuff. I don't know. I can't really remember, but I don't I don't, I don't remember the details, but I remember that kid was was one of these defenders in his early career. Um And they also didn't necessarily consider themselves pirates either. You know, they considered themselves privateers. By 1688, the buccaneer was all but extinct. Local governments had gained enough power to defend themselves. They had, you know, more they had built up their resources and their and their manpower. Uh, and they could now sufficiently defend themselves against the Spanish or the French or the I guess, you know, I'm sure maybe some of them even worked for the Spanish. But uh but what we're mainly talking about are, are French uh you know british and dutch sailors defending against the spanish so so by by 1688 these local governments they had enough power to defend themselves and the way of the buccaneer uh kind of was going the way of the dodo so the most famous of these buccaneers was captain henry morgan so obviously when we hear captain morgan we all think of partying and Coca-Cola and the dude standing on, you know, he's got one foot up. It's that classic pose that we all do when we take pictures. Um, that was Captain Henry Morgan. And he was probably, you know, like I said, he was the most famous of these buccaneers. He had led daring raids on Maracaibo, Portobello, and most notably Panama City. Um, and these were all Spanish held territories. And he literally, you know, I, he, I'm pretty sure he even burnt Panama City to the ground. Um, and obviously they would collect all those. He would collect all those riches and bring them back and, and all that. So that's, that's pretty much your quick breakdown of the Buccaneer period. So 1630 to 1688. 1690 that's the buccaneer period then you got the pirate round Arr, it just sounds piratey just saying it so the pirate round was the name of a sailing route uh that was that would start in in the new world and end in the the indian ocean you know wherever wherever you were going in the indian indian ocean uh pirates of the time and this would be, you know, roughly the 1690s and up, were known to stop off at Madagascar to careen the ship and collect new supplies before moving on to raid, you know, ships of the wealthy Mughal Empire. And the Mughal Empire, we, we went over this with the whole uh, Captain Kidd episode. They were trading partners of of Britain. This 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 Mughal Empire was... You can think of it as modern day India. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of wealth, a lot of diamonds, a lot of gold coming out of uh, this Mughal Empire. And they were moving all this wealth across the Indian Ocean because this empire just stretched. It was it was vast. Um, so Thomas II, the Rhode Island pirate, we talked about, you know, all a lot of these pirates, they're going to come up. If, you know, if we do more episodes on pirates, you're going to keep hearing the same pirates over and over again. 
There's like a, a core group of them that you constantly hear about. And Thomas too is one of them. So we heard about him in the Henry Morgan or uh, Henry Morgan in the Captain Kidd episode. Thomas too, he's known as the Rhode Island pirate. And he's considered the first golden age pirate to sail uh, the round, which he did in 1693. Uh, Henry Avery would take the, the Ganges Sawai, also known as the Gunsway, while on the round in 1695. We're going to save that, that whole, we talked about it a little bit in the Captain Kid episode. Um, we're going to talk about it a little bit more at the end of this episode, but we're going to save Henry Avery uh, for the future because um, Adventure, Explore, Discovered, Dropped a little, a little info, uh, and a message to me the other, you know, a couple days ago or whatever, and it's it's a topic he's interested in doing. So we're hoping to get him on as well as another special guest, um, to talk about this this Henry Avery. So we're gonna save him and his exploits. Um, and why he's he's so famous. They didn't call him the Pirate King for nothing. Let's we'll I'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, so by 1702, the round was becoming less and less popular as the war for Spanish succession uh, provided pirates with legally sanctioned marks back in the West Indies to you know attack these Spanish ships, so they didn't have to travel so far halfway across the world uh, to attack you know ships with wealth aboard because because there are all these spanish ships sailing all around all of a sudden you know not knowing what to do england was now at war with spain again and so all these english governors were handing out letters of mark to all these these privateers you know they're not pirates when you got a letter of mark you're not a pirate you're a privateer so all these uh Pirates were becoming privateers, getting these letters of mark, attacking these Spanish ships, taking all the, you know, who knows what they had on them, rum, sugar, indigo, you know, believe it or not, indigo was a huge, huge, huge profitable, you know, good that they made on the Spanish main and they were transporting uh, back to back to Spain. And if you were able to land a ship that was loaded with indigo, then you'd, you know, you'd sell off that indigo and you'd be a rich man. So, so yeah, all these, these pirates who are now privateers, they didn't have to travel across the Atlantic ocean, sail down Europe, down Africa, circle around the backside of Africa. I believe they called it the Cape of Good Hope, uh, you know, South Africa, go back up. And that's how you would get to the Indian Ocean. And it would take forever. It was costly. People would die. So yeah, by 1702, the round was becoming less popular. Um, and I guess I should mention, I know we did an episode on him and I was just talking about him. Captain Kidd uh, would also also take the Kidd Merchant while on the round, um, you know, which obviously led to his arrest and execution. You know, we, we covered all that. Uh, but yeah, so he was on the pirate round. That was pirate round time. Now, chapter three out of three of the golden age of piracy. This is a time period called the post-Spanish succession. Uh, the, and you know, 
it kind of it's the beginning of the end. So the end of the golden age can be roughly dated as 1701 to 1718. Uh, this was the period of the of the golden age when pirates stopped going to the Indian Ocean and took more Spanish ships within the West Indies. Uh, while pirates did operate successfully after 1718, uh, the appointment of Woods Rogers. So this guy is a very interesting individual. Um, he was appointed as governor of the Bahamas, and he we're going to cover him a little later. He he wanted to put an end, an absolute end to piracy in the West Indies. So. After 1718, when he was appointed, um, the freedom many pirates felt was coming to an end. A lot of these places, they had been free to roam and and do piratey things. Uh, were were now how 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 do we want to explain it? They were now um, within the grasp of you know the British Empire, if you want if if you want to call it that. This would lead to a second short-lived run at the round, uh, which started within, you know, the early 1720s. Um, some historians like this this guy named Marcus Redeker, uh, he uses the, the execution of William Fly in 1726 as the day the golden age of piracy died. Um, and And I'm only I'm not a historian, obviously, at all. And I'm only saying 1718 is the beginning of the end. That is when Woods Rogers is appointed governor. He puts the smack down on all the pirates. He puts his fists down. He hires all these pirate hunters. He even turns pirates into pirate hunters. Many of the pirates we know today arose from this time period, specifically the end of the Golden Age from around the 1690s and on. Uh, you know, I, I might have gotten some of these uh names completely wrong there they might be prior to 1690 but they were at least active 1690 and on i guess henry avery edward teach or thatch also known as blackbeard um captain kidd obviously black sam bellamy steed bonnet and steed so I don't know all these pirates off the top of my head. I've definitely heard of Black Sam Bellamy. I know he was the captain of the Widow, I want to say. I'm pretty sure about this, uh, which was discovered. And for the longest time, they thought it was a myth. Imagine that. Um, and it was discovered off the coast of, uh, I want to say Cape Cod or uh, Martha's Vineyard. I think it's Cape Cod. They, yeah, they thought his his ship was a myth, and then they found it. Imagine that. Um. So yeah, then we had Steed Bonnet, who was a wealthy plantation owner who just wanted to be a pirate. So he he bought all his pirate stuff. He bought his ship. He paid for all these, you know, all his crew, uh, and he went pirating, got in trouble, and uh, was executed. Um. Olivier Levasseur, also known as Labus or the Buzzard. So this guy is interesting. He's a, a Madagascar pirate. So he's a pirate of the round. Um, and he would he would find this huge treasure ship. 
I think it was French. It might have I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a French treasure ship that was pretty much disabled. He found it disabled, floating uh with like hardly any any resistance on board, loaded with treasure. Uh in this this giant golden cross that was in, encrusted with all these diamonds and and emeralds and sapphires and rubies and they call it the the flaming cross like it was it was well known that he had found this um and the buzzard was also he's also one of these pirates who supposedly buried treasure you know right before they they hung him he was supposedly threw this this encoded I don't even know what it was. Some encoded piece of paper into the public uh, as execution. And he was like, if you can de decode this paper, you'll find my treasure. And he threw it right before he died. Uh, let me, another one of these, these, these pirates that that's pretty well known. And I guess, I guess I know most of these from Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Oh, or, or if you've ever watched a TV show, I think it was called Black Flag. I think it was on, ooh, E, uh, stars maybe i'm not sure but there was calico jack rackham uh and they called him calico jack rackham because he wore like flamboyant uh and brightly colored clothing um bartholomew roberts also known as black bart so he's one of the he's one of the last pirates i think the one of the last pirates there was to sail the round in the late 1720s. Then there was Charles Vane, Benjamin Hornigold. He was, he's also a very famous pirate. So he was a, a mentor to most of these pirates. Uh, then you obviously have Anne Bonny and Mary Reed, who were two of the most famous uh, women pirates. And I think they're really the only women pirates who are, who are really historically remembered. Um, so that's just a short list of pirates. There's obviously so, so, so many more. Um, but this is obviously an episode on Libertalia and not pirates. So we're not going to do a complete list of pirates. However, that is a, a short list of famous pirates. Uh, and even if you don't know, even if you never played Assassin's Creed Black Flag or Uncharted 4, you know, I'm sure you've heard of at least definitely Blackbeard. And if you've been following the show, you've heard of Avery and Kid. Uh and and two. Thomas Two, the Rhode Island pirate. Um so now I'm gonna get into this 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 next part and it's not a full coverage. Um and I'm I'm gonna call it the Republic of Pirates. Yeah I got this book called The Republic of Pirates being the true and surprising story of the Caribbean pirates and the man who brought them down. So this is a book about uh, this pirate republic on this island of Nassau. Uh, oh, and it's a book by Colin Woodard. Um, and this dude, I tell you what, he knows his shit. And when I say this is a brief history, that is because... In this book, The Republic of Pirates, uh, there is enough information to go on for 13 and a half hours. So, we obviously don't have that time. So what I'm going to do 
uh, because Libertalia involves a pirate republic. I'm going to go over a quick uh, rundown of the pirate republic on NASA. Here, so I'll read a summary of this. This the Republic of Pirates book. Uh, the untold story of a heroic band of Caribbean pirates whose defiance of imperial rule inspired revolts in colonial outposts across the world. In the early 18th century, the Pirate Republic was home to some of the great pirate captains, including Blackbeard, Black Sam Bellamy, and Charles Vane, along with their fellow pirates, former sailors, indentured servants, and runaway slaves, this flying gang established a crude but distinctive democracy in the Bahamas, carving out their own zone of freedom in which servants were free, blacks could be equal citizens, and leaders were chosen or deposed by a vote. They cut off trade routes, sacked slave ships, and severed Europe from the New World Empires. And for a brief, glorious period, the Republic was a success. So that's the summary of The Republic of Pirates by Colin Woodard. And there was another there's another good one that I've also read called uh, Black Flags, Blue Waters, uh, The Epic History of America's Most Notorious Pirates. Uh, by Eric J. Dolan. Uh, that's a good one too. And that's another long, that's 10 and a half hours. And I'm looking at this on, on audible. I mean, I obviously don't, I didn't read the book, but I, I listened to it. Um, and it was good. Obviously, you know, if you like history, you like a good story, you like pirates, you definitely want to check these, these books out. Uh, and that's not, audible does not sponsor this, this podcast, I just, I just love Audible. So, okay. So when I talk about pirate republics, you know, obviously Nassau comes to mind. A couple, of, maybe a couple outposts uh, around Madagascar. One definitely that we'll get to in detail. But first, I wanted to go over, you know, how it's it's well documented that pirate crews were incredibly democratic uh and conducted themselves under an agreed upon pirate code also known as articles of association uh so this is like you remember that movie pirates of the caribbean curse of the black pearl you know when the the crew of the black pearl are raiding port royal in the beginning and they come across kira knightley's character and she's hiding uh when they find her she declares parlay um, you know, she's like, parlay, parlay. And they're like, what are you going about? You know, those two ridiculous pirates they capture. Uh, and that's a reference to the pirate code. You know, and even one of the pirates mentions that she's not a pirate, so the root, you know, the pirate code uh doesn't apply to her, but they take her on, and you know, the rest of the movie happens. So that's because you know, these pirates operated with a pirate code, and they were incredibly democratic um and not only that you know these pirates they had come up you know these articles of association would include uh how much each crew member would get you know if when they were to raid a ship these articles would in, they would they would govern how much each crew member would get from the take 
how much the captain would get because the captain would obviously get more because he's the captain. Um, there were also rules drawn up on how much compensation one would get for, let's say, like you lose an eye or a leg or an arm, you know, or so on and so on. And these these pirate crews, they would also vote on who who the captain would be. So it was all done on a vote. Starting in 1706, uh, pirates had turned the settlement of Nassau on New Providence Island in the Bahamas uh, into their own pirate republic. Uh, it's widely accepted that this pirate takeover of Nassau began, uh, you know, around 1696 when Henry Avery and his ship, the Fancy, took port in Nassau Harbor. Uh, Avery would then bribe the governor with gold and silver leading to the British turning a blind eye uh, to pirate activity in Nassau. So by 1706, the British fleet, um, you know, attacked Nassau. It drove the majority of its inhabitants out, which included the British officials, uh, which, which pretty much led to privateers turned pirates taking over most of the island around 1713. After the end of the war, for Spanish succession, these mostly British privateers continued to take Spanish and French ships and use Nassau as a base of operations. And because the British officials left, you know, years earlier and, and never came back, even to this point, they had never come back. Uh, these pirates that that were using the, the island as a base were able to install their own governors and those would be Benjamin Hornigold and Henry Jennings. Benjamin Hornigold is is definitely a very interesting character. So Hornigold and Jennings were known to be bitter rivals, uh, but they worked together as best they could to bring along pirates such as, you know, Blackbeard, Edward Thatcher, Edward Teach, uh, Steed Bonnet. All right, so we got a little pirate of our own here. Captain Fenn. Uh, but they worked together as best they could to bring along more pirates, such as Edward, Edward. Teach, uh, also known as Blackbeard. Blackbeard. <laughs> you know, you're making this very difficult. Uh, you know, and like Steed Bonnet, Bonnet, Black Sam, Bellamy, Calico Jack Rackham. Charles Vane, Mary Reed, and Bonnie, you know, and, and many more. Uh, the governor of, of Bermuda would say at one point that a thousand pirates inhabited Nassau at one time. Uh, Blackbeard would, would eventually be voted in as magistrate. Um, and Thomas Barrow would declare himself governor of all New Providence and famously say he would, and I quote, are make it a second to Madagascar and expect five or six hundred more men from Jamaica sloops to join in the settling of Providence and to make war on the French and Spaniards. But for the English, they don't intend to meddle with them unless they are first attacked by them. Ardi ar har 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 
yeah, I might uh unquote. I might have added a a word or two into that, but uh uh and so this is a direct quote to Madagascar and you know the pirate republics that existed out out that way. Madagascar obviously in the Indian Ocean, the coast of Africa. You know, y'all seen that that movie Madagascar with the animals, you know, that Madagascar. Uh and and so Madagascar plays a, an important role in the history of piracy. So I just wanted to bring that up. It was also well known that there were enough pirates in the settlement to amass a fleet large enough to take on British frigates, which they had begun attacking, uh, which leaded to King George I appointing Wood Rogers to stomp out the Nassau pirates. And so Wood Rogers would do this. He would clear up Nassau. He would offer a, a king's pardon to any pirate. They would allow that pirate to keep to keep their their gold and treasure, you know, anything, all their wealth they had amassed, and walk away scot, you know, scot-free if they agreed to never become pirates again. And one of the, the most famous pirate to accept this this king's pardon would be Benjamin Hornigold. Who would then turn on, you know, all all his, um, I don't want to say friends, but we'll, we'll call him colleagues. So Benjamin Hornigold would turn on all his colleagues, and he would actually become a pirate hunter, <laughs> and that would be in 1718. So it's not the downfall of of pirates, but it's the beginning of the end of the golden age. Uh, and you know that was just a a, a very brief history on pirate republics um but but it's well known that pirates they were extremely i i can't stress this fact enough on on how democratic pirates were you know they took a vote on everything race and religion didn't matter to them at all the only thing that i guess did somewhat matter to them was with if, if you were spanish <laughs> they didn't like spaniards but long before uh, and some would even say it still is some. Uh, even I would say it's an issue. You know, race has always been an issue here in the United States. Um, and it's just it's it's ironic that these these barbaric uh pirates who who indiscriminately just killed and plundered and took everything uh that they wanted and lived this life of of anarchy were were extremely democratic in their ways it's 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 ironic and and it's fascinating and historians find it fascinating um and for good reason so that's that was a quick rundown on Nassau the pirate republic at Nassau and a little bit of their you know the way they conducted themselves so now let's get into Libertalia. So Libertalia is supposed to be a pirate republic. It was said to be a utopia, a pirate utopia, where pirates would go to live and die. Um, so the story of Libertalia, the lost pirate utopia. Appearing in book two, a history of the pirates published in 1728 several you know this and this is several years after uh the publication of a general history of the most notorious pirates 
by Captain Charles Johnson in uh, A History of the Pirates, was also by Captain Charles Johnson, tells the story of a young French sailor turned pirate named Misson. And this, this Captain Charles Johnson guy, some actually believe him to be uh, this this author by the name of Daniel Defoe. Um, and so this is not to be confused with the dude who played Green Goblin. That guy's name is William Defoe. Maybe he's a he's an ancestor, but we're we're talking hundreds. These these two are hundreds of years apart. So um, don't get the author of Robinson Crusoe confused with the actor who played Green Goblin. Okay. Uh, but anyway, Captain Charles Johnson writes about a young French sailor, and th- this is a quote from from the first chapter of of uh, a history of the pirates. Uh, so. This young French sailor born in province of an ancient family, uh, unquote. And so this French sailor, they keep his his last name a secret. We don't know his last name. And that is because it, you know, in the book, it says um, whose last name is purposely left out of the book to keep his wealthy family safe. Uh, and at the age of 15, Misson would pass his humanity and logic test <laughs> and was was apparently a quote tolerable mathematician unquote and he would attend university for a year before deciding to leave France aboard a ship called the Victoire uh Misson knew he needed to go out into the world to make his fortune and this is because his father had so many children that when his father died he knew he wasn't going to be getting a, a very large inheritance. Um, so while on a trip aboard the Victoire, the crew, they set port in Naples, Italy, where Misson is given permission to venture inland to Rome and tour the Vatican, you know, because everyone was so religious back then. He wanted to go straight to he wanted to see the Vatican, the heart of Catholicism. And while on this tour, Misson would meet a man named Signor Caraccioli. Uh, and this guy was a, a Dominican priest who had become disenchanted with the Catholic Church. And this is a quote taken from the book uh, from Caraccioli. I am I hold on. Let me let me try to do this in a in an Italian accent. It's me, Mario. It's me, the meatballs. I am an enemy to restraint. I am apprehensive. I shall never act upon my character and carry, throw the hypocrite with art enough to rise to any considerable post within the church. My parents did not consult my genius, or they would have given me a sword instead of a pair of beads. Uh, and that was a quote. Apparently, that was something Caraccioli had said to to Misson. Um, so the book goes on to you know, and this this is chapter one of the book. Uh, the book goes on to say that young Misson would bring Caraccioli back to the ship with him, so he convinced this old priest to take up a life at sea as you know, like an adventurer. And that apparently the Victoire was at sea for only a week when it was attacked by two Spanish pirate ships. 
one of which attempted to board the Victoire, but it took a direct shot somewhere low on the hole and it, it sank. You know, it, it tried to, to sail away and it, it sank as it retreated. Uh, the crew of the Victoire would then board the second ship and Caraccioli would receive a gunshot to his thigh during the struggle. And Misson is said to have cut down a Spaniard just before he was able to ignite the ship's magazine, saving the day. So apparently this guy was going to try to blow the ship up. And the magazine, when we, we hear a magazine, we think of like something you put in, you know, a rifle. Uh, but a magazine back then was like a place where you would store kegs full of gunpowder on the ship, you know? And this guy was going to ignite those those kegs of gunpowder, blowing up the whole ship, everyone on it, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, Captain Charles Johnson then makes a point to write that Misson and Caraccioli would often discuss religion. You know, they believed in God, but not in organized religion is pretty much what it came down to. Uh, they also believe that it's everyone's God-given right to seize their own destiny and make their own fortune instead of, you know, living under the rule of another. Uh, and this was an ideal that the crew of the Victoire agreed with, and they were all ready to seize their fortunes. Um, Misson's next recorded adventure was in the Caribbean when the Victoire came under attack by an English captain hoping to take the ship as a prize. The Victoire's captain, its second, you know, its second captain and its three lieutenants would be killed in the fight, leaving Misson, you know, in the initial moments of the battle, leaving Misson uh, to take charge. And by a stroke of luck, so this ship that was attacking him was, was way bigger. Uh, by a stroke of luck, the English ship accidentally caught fire somehow, somehow from within. Uh, and exploded. It's recorded that Caraccioli then stood in front of the remaining crew and gave them two options. They could remain on the ship and law and this is another quote: lawfully make war on the world, or return the ship to the proper authorities back in France. Uh, the crew of the Victoire chose to remain on the ship and become pirates, even though they they didn't refer to themselves as pirates. So Caraccioli and Misson and their crew, they were like gentlemen pirates. They uh they didn't want to deal out harsh punishments to to you know captives. They would treat them fairly. They would um capture ships, you know, take what they wanted and then let them go without harm. Uh and they were all in agreement to this. They didn't want to like hurt anyone that they didn't have to. Um they wouldn't you know, they wouldn't fight. They would, and apparently they would make fake runs on ships, hoping that those ships would attack them first so that they could defend themselves, you know, even though they're the one, the they're, they're technically the aggressor for starting the, the, the run to begin with. Um, so yeah, Misson would then become Captain Misson and eventually found themselves off the Gold Coast of Africa. And before long, his crew of not pirate pirates uh, numbered too many for one ship to hold. So he quietly took another ship. He declared 
uh, Caraccioli as captain of that ship, and the two pirates would anchor just off of Johanna Island. So, yeah, they were, you know, every time they would take a ship, members of that crew were so enthralled with what, you know, Caraccioli and Misson had to say that they would join, you know, their pirate crew. And they were just gaining members left and right, hand over fist, you know. And there were obviously too many to hold on one ship, so they needed a second ship. Um, so on Johanna Island, they would become tangled in a war between two tribes, a queen and a king. From And this king was from the neighboring island of Mawali. Uh, they had aligned themselves with the queen, and their pistols and swords were making short work of the enemy. So... Defoe, I'm just gonna call him Defoe. You know, a lot of a lot of historians believe Captain Charles Johnson to be Daniel Defoe. So, Defoe then writes that after uh, Captain Misson and Caraccioli, as well as eight other crew members, had you know sat down for peace talks, they were then attacked. You know, on their way back to the ships, they they were they came under attack. Um, this is a quote. They were enclosed by at least a hundred of the Mohilians who set upon them with utmost fury and in the first flight of arrows wounded both the captains and killed four of their, of their boat's crew of eight. They, in return, discharged their pistols and fell in with their cutlasses. Uh, the rest of the crew came to help eventually, but ten men had been killed, and many more—you know—many more were were injured. So there were there were what like there were ten Cracioli and Misson, and they had eight other crew members. They were coming back to the ship. They come under attack, and then the rest of their crew comes to help them. So, and then ten of those you know crew members. Uh, were killed, and many more were injured. Uh, they spent the next six weeks recuperating at sea, uh, but when they were strong again, they picked a fight with a 40-gun Portuguese ship. And a 40-gun ship is a ship with 40 cannons, you know, 20 on each side. Uh, and this Portuguese ship carried a load of gold dust, which apparently was valued at around, what would be $250,000. Uh... His priest friend would end up losing a leg in the battle, and 30 of their men died, but they took the gold dust and 10 of the ship's cannons and set sail once again for Madagascar. Misson, he wanted a place to settle down and call their own. You know, this was an idea that he had he had, had for a while. Uh, they didn't want just a pirate camp, but to make an entire community an entire pirate community. Um, he had grand ideas drifting around in his head. So he sailed up and down the coast of the big island, looking for the perfect location. Earlier, I said we'd talk about Madagascar again. And so this is, you know, the second, around the second period uh, that we talked about, the golden age, starting around like 1690. Uh, there there's no dates associated with Misson and his story, but we can 
you know, is what we went over. We can imagine that this took place somewhere around 1690. Um, and as we get further along, we, we can date this a little more precisely. But uh, so, yeah, Misan, he wanted to start a community, a pirate community. Uh, and at this time, Madagascar hadn't been colonized by any European power. Um, however, there were major Malagasy tribes on the island, like the Marina people of, and these, and these Marina people, they, they settled the central highlands. Um, and then there were the, this, this is a, this is a crazy name. I'm not going to get this right. Don't, don't send emails. I, I understand that I'm going to butcher this. So bear with me for a second. Bet, bet Baromitsakarika. Um, and the the Baromitsakarika people of the east coast, and then the Skalava, 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 and then the Skalava people of the western regions. Uh, and there were also pirates also inhabited the island around this time. They were starting to filter in slowly, uh, depending on when. Misan's story takes place. Madagascar could have been populated by a lot of pirates or a few pirates. Um, but there were no colonial governments to bother anyone on, you know, the island of Madagascar. There were only these these tribes and they were they were large tribes, big tribes with big towns and villages of their own. There was no Western colonial presence on the island, and the, the good thing about Madagascar, which is what you know, which made it popular for pirates, was the fact that there were no Western powers on the island, and that it was a great starting point for anyone who wanted to do piracy on the Indian Ocean. Like, if you wanted to raid a Mughal treasure fleet, then you go, you know, you go from you do the pirate round, you go from the Caribbean or New England, or wherever you are, you sail across the Atlantic, you know, down Europe, down Africa, into Madagascar, you reload supplies, you get more gunpowder, more cannons if you need to, more cannonballs, you know, water, fresh water was important. Um, you get all the supplies you need, then you, you, you set sail from Madagascar into the rest of the Indian Ocean, where you you capture a prize, and a lot of pirates would they would careen their ships after sailing across the Atlantic. They would careen their ships, and this is when a pirate they would they would um they would pretty much beach their their ships, tip them over a little bit, and this is nuts. I can't believe that anyone that they would do this. It seems um it's just crazy that that they 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 would do this. So they would beach the ships pretty much, then then tip them over so that they could scrape the barnacles and there were there were these sea worms that would eat wood and you would have to scrape this stuff off your ship um or else they would you know eat through the wood and you would sink so they would careen their ships and scrape these worms and barnacles off and then you know so that they could go further and they would often do this at Madagascar so here's here's an here's another quote. He I'm gonna read in a pirate voice. Er he 
coasted along this island as far as the most northerly point. When turning back, he entered a bay to the northward of Diego Sores. He run ten leagues up this bay, and on the larboard side found it afforded a large and safe harbor arr, with plenty of fresh water. He came here to an anchor, went ashore, and had examined into the nature of the soil, which he found rich, the air wholesome, and the country level. This was an excellent place for an asylum. And uh, when they say asylum, they mean, you know, like like a safe haven. Uh, and he determined here to fortify and raise a small town and to make docks for shipping and that they might have some place to call their own. And a receptacle when age or wounds had rendered them in compatible of hardship where they might enjoy the fruits of their labor and go to their graves in peace. Arr, 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 Misson's crew agreed with his plans uh, and the crew began clearing the ground and he would call this settlement Libertalia. Some places you might see it written as Libertasia. Those who resided within the borders of Libertalia would be called the Libertai. They constructed two forts on either side of the harbor and mounted 20 cannons in each, as well as a 10-gun battery along the outside. Um, they would construct homes and shops and negotiated peaceful relations with a nearby tribe. Um and, th and that is the end of chapter one of this A History of Pirates. And then chapter two begins with Misson, Captain Misson, meeting a pirate by the name of Captain Thomas II. Now, as we went over earlier, Thomas II made his first pirate round trip um, in 1693. So... As of now, let's say this is 1693. Um, Misan would bring two back to the you know back to Libertalia and show the Rhode Island pirate the utopia they've created. Uh, Captain Charles Johnson then writes about a about a time when Misan, two and Caraccioli take a prize and debate whether they should release a group of captives or not. You know, uh, Thomas II and Caraccioli, they wanted to keep them captive. However, Misson hated the idea of keeping someone, you know, against their will. He hated the idea of keeping these people captive and convinced everyone to let the captives go. Uh, Johnson, you know, the author, also addresses that Misson told the captives before letting them go that he knew the consequences for letting them go. Uh, and that he would expect to be attacked by European forces as soon as, you know, they were able to reach civilization. However, the thought of keeping them captain was was just too cruel of an idea for Misson. You know, the gentleman pirate. He's a gentleman pirate. Uh, so he he would. He would let them go. 
but before he let them go, he he made he made these captains swear an oath to never fight against him or his crew, and then asked about what you know, and then asked the crew what they had lost in during you know the takeover of this ship. And Misson would give these captives, he would compensate these captives out of his own take uh, before, you know, letting them go. So he would, he would take funds out of his own share of the plunder, give it to these captives and let them go. Uh, I don't know if he was hoping to appease them or maybe make them trust him in some way. But, uh, Charles Johnson then writes how Misson and his Liberty, they they would free slaves and raided ships until one day they came across a sailor who had been set free by Misson. Um, and I'm not sure if this it's not too clear whether this this captive was this this guy they had they had seen that they recognized was one of these captains that I, that I just talked about that sweared the oath or not but um either way they recognized who these these two individuals were um and they were taken back to libertalia found guilty of perjury and set to be executed the next morning so the community back in Libertalia was split on the decision to kill the sailors and it led to, you know, a lot of debate, which ended up leading to actual laws being enacted uh, in Libertalia. And Misson was voted in as Lord Conservator. Two was voted in as uh, Admiral of, you know, Libertalia's growing Navy, and Caraccioli became the Secretary of State. So their their pirate utopia was becoming so big that they were thinking of, uh, you know, working with Western nations and, tr you know, trading with them and, and whatnot. Um, and apparently they had even devised some sort of official language for Libertalia that was created from all these other languages that were spoken throughout you know, throughout the community. So, you know, obviously you would have English and French, probably some Portuguese, uh, some German. Um, and then Captain Johnson writes that Captain Johnson or Defoe, you know, same person, goes on to write that Thomas too left Libertalia on a mission and had gone ashore to see some old friends when a storm, you know, rolled in all of a sudden and 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 sank his ship, which left him stranded where he was with no way back to Libertalia. And at some point, Misson finds two and tells him that Libertalia is gone. And so here's here's the quote uh, from Misson explaining what had happened uh, to Libertalia. Our all their proposed happiness was vanished. For without the least provocation given, in the dead of the night, the natives come down, came down upon them in two great bodies and made a great slaughter without distinction of age or sex. Before they could put themselves in a posture of defense, that Caraccioli, who had, uh, had died in, 
you know, who who would end up dying in this in this fight. Uh and he had got what men together they they could to make a stand. But finding all resistance vain against such numbers, he made a shift to secure a considerable quantity of rough diamonds and bar gold and to get on board the two sloops with 45 men. Uh, so, so Caraccioli, he ends up dying, uh, in this fight with these, this native tribe. Um, all of Libertalia is lost. Everyone's dead. Uh, Misan is able to gather 45 men. You know, he's got a, a, a ship full of treasure and they kind of just left. And Misan is so devastated. Um, he just, he almost just wants to give up on, on life altogether. Uh, so the two men, uh, Misan and two, Thomas two would, would separate two would sail back to Rhode Island Two suggested that they, they sailed back to America and, and restart there. But, but Misan, he wants to give up. He wants to go back to France, see his family. And then, you know, it, from what the book says, Sounds like he wants to go back, see his family, and and then kill himself. Um, but Misan, his ship would then get caught in a storm, and uh, would sink with with Misan aboard, as well as these these, you know, whoever else was on board with him. So I'm, I'm it it wasn't all the forty five men. Some of them have gone with Thomas too. Some of them went with Misan. But everyone who was on board Misan's ship was lost. And uh, that's pretty much the story of Libertalia. That, you know, the actual story of Libertalia. As we know it, told to us by Captain Charles Johnson uh, in A History of the Pirates. Um, so two would sail on one more expedition where he would help Henry Avery take on, you know, this Mughal treasure fleet. But two would be cut in half by a cannonball uh, within the first minutes of of that battle, and that was sixteen ninety six, sixteen ninety five, sixteen ninety six, I think. Uh, and so this story, the the historical historical quotation mark story of Libertalia, is is you know it differs from, I don't want to say drastically, but it differs from. The story told in Uncharted 4. Uh, and I'm, I'm just going to go over the Uncharted 4 story because this is Uncharted 4 is probably the biggest piece of pop culture that that um, references this Libertalia. Now, I know recently there's been, you know, there was a little bit in, in Fallout 4 and there's like a card game now. But but this is like Uncharted 4. It's my favorite game. I can't I cannot not bring it up. Um, so in the hit game, you know, in the hit game, Uncharted 4 for the PS4, Nathan Drake, which was the main character for, through all the Uncharted games, you know, he's on the trail of Henry Avery's treasure. Uh, Drake eventually finds that Avery teamed up with Thomas too, in a collection of other successful pirates, uh, to form this, this pirate utopia of Libertalia off the coast of Madagascar somewhere, you know, on an island off the coast of Madagascar. Uh, and then 
within Uncharted 4, instead of happening before the Gunsway or the, the Ganji Sawai uh, heist, Uncharted 4 has Libertalia, Libertalia becoming real because of the Gunsway heist. So they would use the treasure. Avery, he would kind of lead everybody uh, in creating this pirate utopia and use the treasure gained from this, this Gunsway heist to build Libertalia. And and another key difference is in Uncharted 4, Thomas 2's death was was faked. Thomas 2 survived the battle and he, he became, you know, Henry Avery's right hand man. Um and so obviously the game is a it's just it's an incredible game. It's an incredible story. Everything about it. I suggest everyone play the game. I was we we were actually gonna do an episode on this while well, Bank was here, but for some reason he doesn't like adventure games, so he wouldn't fucking play the game. He played like I don't I didn't know how anyone could not like Uncharted, so but Bank didn't. He didn't want to play the game. We never ended up doing the episode. Uh but it's just an incredible story. A lost pirate utopia. I mean, what is what is better than that? Um so here are some I don't want not necessarily some facts, but here are some historic, you know, historic records and facts about Libertalia. So Libertalia was most if it was real, it was in they had mentioned the Bay of uh Diego Sorez. So it would be located around that, around there somewhere, or maybe even in the bay. Uh, and then Philip Goes's, uh The Pirate's Who's Who book includes a nine-page account of Misan that ends with a quotation from Lord Byron. He was the mildest-mannered man that ever scuttled ship or cut a throat. Um, and so... There's this huge debate within the pirate community whether Misan was real. There's no historical evidence other than the account within a history of the pirates that Misan was real. Now, maybe Misan wasn't his real name. It was some sort of alias that he used. Uh, a lot of people believe that this Captain Charles Johnson just created Misan in his story, and it's a complete work of fiction. Um and you know we will probably never know. Maybe someone will, will, uncover some sort of evidence that Misan was real. But until then, Misan is a complete mystery. Another issue with the story, I guess, is that the idea of two being there at Libertalia during this time doesn't fit what we know of two and his whereabouts, which have been documented. So this would put two. I mean, it makes sense to me that this would take place. You know. Misan would have built Libertalia around 1690, 1691, and then 1692. And that when Thomas II's first voyage out that way is when he would have met up with um with Misan. Now I didn't I I didn't have time enough to look into Two's initial voyage to the Indian Ocean, so maybe it's completely Maybe it's completely documented and none of this shows up on there, but I guess it'd be worth looking into. And then, so according to other historians of Madagascar, uh, another reason too couldn't have visited the Utopia was because, and this is a quote, 
no pirate community ever settled in the Bay of of, of Diego Sorez, the site of Misson's Libertalia, because despite the excellent harbor, the hinterland, which is like the you know the land behind the harbor, uh, was too mountainous and too uninhabited to ensure a steady supply of provisions for a colony. Um, but if two did go to Libertalia, like I said, it would have to be before 1695, as that was when the year two set sail with Avery. So it wasn't, I, I can't remember what I had just said a little while ago. Uh, so 1693 was his first voyage. So within those, there, so there's obviously two years there uh, where he would have been able to meet Misson and and be a part of this Libertalia libertalia experiment um and you know the the way the book makes it sound it it sounds like two wasn't involved in this experiment of a colony for very long at all you know maybe just a few months at most uh so you know keep that in mind as well uh and then i just got a little bit of information on madagascar and you know it's pop and why on Madagascar and its relation to pirates, uh, made popular after the the Buccaneer Age. You know when Thomas II sailed to the Indian Ocean in sixteen ninety three. You know the island was out of the way of any major European group. You know we went over all that, uh, and so there were a couple of I don't want to say they're I don't want to say they're utopias, but they were pirate settlements. So Adam Baldridge. Uh, in Saint Marie. So this this was a pirate settlement on Madagascar, and a 1733 map refers to the island as the Island of Pirates, and was thought to be like the off season home to about a thousand or more pirates. You know, same as Nassau. Uh, Kid, Captain Kid, he visited the settlement of Saint Marie before sailing back to the Americas. Uh, and his ship was actually found off, you know, within the waters of St. Marie. The adventure galley was found in the waters off, off, um, you know, the St. Marie settlement in, in, in 2000. And there's also this, this famous pirate cemetery that, that tourists apparently love to go to. You can go there, you can visit it. There's about 30 pirate headstones that remained to this day even some of them even have like the skull and crossbones carved within the stone uh and it's located at the top of a hill overlooking the sea and then we have john plantain uh in rant ranters bay so plantain he had fortified ranters bay and for a time ran like a pirate trading post uh and then he ended up declaring himself king of the bay and Plantain would end up going to war with the natives of the island over one of the king's beautiful daughters. Uh, and Plantain, he would fight for two years, taking over nearly everything he marched upon. He would end up declaring himself king of all Madagascar. And he would replace these. So as he as he went, he would take out these tribal kings and he would replace those kings with, you know, kings of his own, like puppet kings. Um, and he 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 enslaved everyone he didn't kill, and he collected every bit of wealth that he found. Uh, but 
plantain eventually became wary and paranoid and he would escape aboard a Portuguese ship headed for India. I believe that was 1728 that he left. And so, Madag- you know, all these pirate bases on Madagascar were abandoned by 1728. Um, and that's that's the history, you know, that's the story of Libertalia, uh, the history that we know of Libertalia. And I'm sorry if you could hear my kid screaming in the background. He's not. He is not a happy camper right now. Um these past couple episodes, I I usually try to do them when they're not, like you know, when they're out. But it's been raining so hot here for so long. You know, we just had these crazy floods come through, and you know, these people are fixing the roads and the driveways, and it's just raining again, washing out what they fix. It's been doing this for like two weeks straight. Yeah, that's Libertalia. Maybe one day Libertalia will be found. Uh, maybe it won't. Maybe someday someone will find some sort of vast lost city within the jungles of Madagascar or some mysterious uncharted island off the coast loaded with, you know, scuttled pirate ships and chests full of gold and jewels. I don't know. But that definitely sounds almost canon to me.